morning, I invite you to open them to Mark chapter 1. On Sunday morning, we're in a sermon series through the second gospel, the gospel that was specifically written to you and I, non-Jewish people. And today, we're going to be looking at chapter 1, verse 29 through 34. <clears throat> the title of the message, When Jesus Comes to Our Place. When Jesus comes to our place. Several people have commented how slow we're going through this sermon series. I want to rest you assured that at the rate we're going, we will be through in the year 2036. I may not know we're through, but we'll get through. Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 29, and forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, out of church, they entered into the house of Peter and Andrew and James and John. And Peter's mother-in-law lay sick of a fever, and they went to tell Jesus about it. And he came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, Immediately the fever left her, and she served them. At evening, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased, and them that were possessed with demons. All the city gathered outside the door of Peter's home. And Jesus healed many that were sick of various diseases, cast out many demons and told the demons, told not the demons to speak because they knew him. Our story centers, and it's a simple story, on Peter's mother-in-law. She had a sickness and Jesus brought healing to her body. Now, as we study this simple story, we're going to transition into what Paul Harvey calls the rest of the story. So the simple story is pretty obvious, and if you'll keep your Bibles open, you can just kind of follow as I go through it. And then the rest of the story will be where the rubber meets the road for you and I. Seven observations... Simple observations from the simple story we just read. Observation number one. Peter invites the Lord Jesus to come back to his home for lunch and to take a nap after the church service. Look at verse 29. Now keep your Bibles open. And forthwith, Immediately, when they had come out of church, church of that day was called the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon Peter and Andrew with James and John and others, including Jesus. Church is over. Jesus was a Baptist. At least that's what some Baptists think. But Jesus had just ministered in church. 
He had taught the word of God. He had preached the word of God. He had performed the miracles of healing. He had cast out demons. What a service that was. And the service is now over. And his group that is with him, which consists of Peter and Andrew, the brothers, James and John, the brothers, and perhaps others, they're all leaving together. And Jesus is in need of something to eat. And Jesus is in need of a place to rest. And Peter says, Master, what I have is yours. When you saved me, Master, I gave you not only my life, I gave you all that I have. Please come back to my house. I would be honored if you would sit at the table and eat with us. I would be honored if you would get some rest before you go back out this afternoon. And so Peter, the Lord, and others went back to Peter's house. Now Peter's house was in Capernaum, right next to the Sea of Galilee. It was a modest, middle-class community of people who lived there. Now I think it's interesting that we read Jesus didn't have a house to go back to. He had to go back to Peter's house. Jesus didn't have any money to buy lunch. He had to trust in the hospitality of Peter's family. Why is that interesting? Because we have some TV preachers today who tell us that Jesus was stylish and lavish in his lifestyle. That he owned a house. He had a pocket full of money. And what he had, he wants us to have. You heard me say many times, there's a theological word for that. It's called baloney. The Bible says very clearly, Jesus did not own a home. In fact, he didn't even have a place to lay his head. He didn't have any money. He trusted in his father to take care of his needs. He trusted in the hospitality of other believers to take care of his needs. So Peter took Jesus back to his house. Observation number two. Peter was a married man. Notice it says in verse 30, Peter's mother-in-law lay sick of a fever. Now we have a certain denomination that teaches that Peter was the first pope and Peter wasn't married. They're wrong on both counts. Peter was not a pope, never was a pope. Okay? And also Peter was a married man. How else would he have a mother-in-law? So Peter was not a pope, but he was a married man. And historians tell us, particularly Clement of Alexandria, who was a church theologian and historian, said that Peter and his wife ministered together after the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They became a husband-wife team of ministry together. And not only did they minister together, Peter and his wife more martyred together. They died together. 
They kept their vows to one another this way. They kept their vows to God that way. And Peter, according to tradition, was crucified upside down on a cross. And his wife was crucified next to him. So Peter was a married man. Thirdly, as you're looking in your Bibles, aren't you glad you brought your Bibles? You can see all of this. I'm not making this stuff up. It's right there. Verse 30, observation 3, simple story. Peter's mother-in-law was sick unto death. Notice it says in verse 30, but Peter's mother-in-law lay sick of a fever. Now Mark always understated the truth. Mark didn't get too emotional. He wasn't a guy that got high or low. He was pretty flatlined. Okay? And he simply says when he speaks of Peter's mother-in-law that she had a fever. This word fever comes from a Greek word that means she was burning up on the inside. 103, 104, 105, nobody knows how high her temperature was, but she was literally burning up on the inside. That's what the word fever means. Dr. Luke, who was a medical doctor, in his account of this in his gospel, he says that Peter's mother-in-law had a great, now, when your doctor tells you, you got a great something, you better pay attention. Dr. Luke says of Peter's mother-in-law, she had a great fever, suggesting that she could have had malaria. She could have had typhoid fever. She was on her deathbed. Do you understand that, ladies and gentlemen? She didn't have a common cold. She didn't have a flu. She didn't even have coronavirus. She had something that was on that was going to kill her. She was on her deathbed. In fact, the word lay that is given in verse 30, it says his mother-in-law lay sick of a fever. That word lay means flat on her back, unable to move, dying. Now think about this, ladies. Peter, knowing that his mother-in-law is sick, perhaps even sick unto death, invites Jesus and a whole bunch of other people home with him for lunch and a nap. Isn't that just like a man? <laughs> but, but that's the situation that Peter's mother-in-law was in. She was on her deathbed. Observation number four, verse 30. Jesus is told of the seriousness of the sickness. Notice it says in verse 30, they went and told him, him is Jesus, of her, which is Peter's mother-in-law. Now that phrase, told him, is an interesting phrase. It doesn't mean to go and inform somebody of something. It means to go and invite somebody to. So when they came and they got Jesus and they beckoned him to Peter's mother-in-law's room where she was lying on her deathbed, 
when they went and got Jesus, they did not go, pay attention saints, to inform Jesus of the situation. They came to invite Jesus into the situation. Now why do I say that? Because many times when we pray to God, we spend 90% of our prayer time trying to tell God the situation. He already knows the situation. Jesus did not need to be informed about what was wrong with Peter's mother-in-law. He already knew. He was just waiting for the invitation to go into her room and do something about it. The Lord only goes where he's invited. Do you understand that? And so they went and they invited him to come and do something about what was going on. The Christ of the crisis was invited to come into the crisis that was unfolding in Peter's mother-in-law's room. And then in verse 31, it tells us what he did when he got in the room. He got frustrated because he couldn't heal her and he left. Is that what it says? Some of y'all, y'all ought to look at y'all's faces sometimes. I say something crazy and y'all go and... And then I say no, and you go... Notice in verse 31... They told him what was going on. They invited him into the room to do something about it. He's the Christ of crisis. And then it says in verse 31, he came, took her by the hand, lifted her up, and immediately, that means immediately, the fever left her. And she got up and served. Notice the four-step process, if you will. Jesus is in another room. They come and get him. Master, we need you to come into the bedroom where my mother-in-law is. She's not doing well, Master. She's dying. Will you step into this situation? And so the Bible says he came into the room. Notice it says he came. That phrase, he came... Mean, he came and he stood over her. She's flat on her back, remember. She can't get up. She can't move. She's dying. Maybe she's not even conscious. But Jesus comes and he stands over her. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and attentive to their cry. And then secondly, he touched her. Notice it says he took her by the hand. He held her hand. Now why would he do that? Do you ever think about why Jesus did things? I mean, he could have just <clears throat> walked into the room and did this. He could have nodded his head. He could have waved his hand. Why did he see it necessary to go into the room, to stand over her, and then to reach out and touch her hand? Can I speculate there's power in touch? 
That's one of the hardest things that we are going through right now in this church with this coronavirus stuff. The people of Miles Road are handshaking folks. We're neck-hugging folks. We're patch-on-the-back folks. And we can't do any of that, folks, now. <laughs> There's power in touch. And Jesus wanted to convey his love to her. When you convey love to people, you touch them. And he reached down and he touched her to say, I love you. And then there was another reason why he touched her. Because he wanted to show everybody in that room he has the power over fever. Because it was commonly believed in that day. If you touch somebody who had fever, they not only were undefiled because of the fever, but you became defiled by touching them with the fever. And Jesus was putting all of that nonsense to rest. He reached out and he touched her because he loved her. And he said, I'm not scared of fever. I'm the Lord over fever. And then... He lifted her up, it says. Holding hand, he just lifted her up. You said, Pastor, she couldn't move. She's flat on her back. You're right. But his power and strength entered into her. Just like with the woman who had the issue of blood. When she touched his garment, he could feel his power leaving him. And that power went into her and healed her. And when he touched Peter's mother-in-law's hand, the power of the living God surged into her. And she medically was healed, and physically she regained her strength. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 8 says of Jesus, He raises up the poor and lifts up the needy from the ashes. And then he healed her. That's the bottom line, isn't it? He healed her. The fever immediately left her, it says in verse 31. Isaiah said when the Messiah came, he would give sight to the blind. He would give hearing to the deaf. He would give walk to the lame. He would bring healing to the sick. And that's exactly what Jesus does here. And Mark, who again is a man of few words, just simply says, <laughs> she was healed. So much, in fact, that she went back to making lunch for everybody. You see, Peter was sweating it out. I need to go to Smashburger. We ain't got nothing to eat. Kentucky Fried Chicken, Zaxby's. Chick-fil-A was closed on Sunday. Couldn't go there. He didn't know what to do. We men invite people over to the house. We don't always think about what we're going to feed them. So when she was healed, she immediately got up and began to do what? 
what ladies do so well. Organize the kitchen, organize the house, make sure there's clean sheets on the bed and a clean pillowcase on that pillow for Jesus to rest. And then she got in there and rattled some pots and pans and came up with some maters, taters, and beans and fed Jesus and the men. He was healed. I find it interesting that no financial gifts were given to Jesus to heal her. I find it interesting that no voodoo prayer handkerchiefs were used to heal her. I find it interesting that there was no showtime in the healing. Jesus simply healed her. And that's the way it always is in the Bible. He simply heals her. Heals him. I'm telling you, I wouldn't give you a dime a dozen for these faith healers out there who claim to heal people. They're phonies. You can write that down and put my name by it. Jesus healed her. And Peter's mother-in-law, Sixley, we're talking about the simple story. Aren't you glad you came? See, you, you've seen all this in your Bible. Peter's mother-in-law said thank you to Jesus by serving him and the men who were there. It says she got up and she ministered. That word minister means she served. That was her way of saying thank you, Jesus. Do you and I say thank you to Jesus? Probably not as much as we should. You know, there's different ways of saying thank you. You can say thank you with a witness or a testimony. You can say witness with a gift. You can say witness with an act of obedience. You can say uh, uh, thank you with, with worship. She said it with service. That was her way of saying thank you. She said, Lord, thank you for healing me. And now that I'm back and well and full strength, I'm going to serve you out of my thank you-ness to you. Then lastly, now we're talking about the simple story. Now I know this is exciting for you. The last thing I want you to notice is in verse 32 through 34. Once Jesus had performed <coughs> this miracle of healing, his home became a headquarters for ministry. Because what notice what happens, word gets out on the street that Jesus has healed Peter's mother-in-law. Don't take long for good news to get out. And pretty soon everybody in Capernaum who has sickness or disease or demonic possession or other physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual issues, guess where they're at? Knocking on Peter's door. Verse 32. They brought unto him all that were diseased. And them that were possessed with demons. The entire city gathered together at the door of Peter. I'd like to see what that looked like one day. Wow, that must have been a mob. And they're there. And Jesus, in verse 34, healed many that were sick of various diseases, 
cast out the demons and told the others to be quiet, not to open their mouth in his presence. What a day. Jesus came to Peter's home. He ministered to Peter's mother-in-law. And from that, he ministered out of Peter's home to hundreds of people that day. Some came with mild, others came with severe conditions. Some were physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual. Some came with broken bones, some came with broken hearts. Some came with cancer, some came with leprosy. Some came with pulmonary issues, or cardiac issues, or respiratory issues, or gastric issues, or, or renal failure. Many of them came possessed by demons. And Jesus healed them all. In His mercy, He healed them all. Now that's the simple story. And I could stop it right there. Most of you would be happy. And we could go home. Paul Harvey was a great news broadcaster. Because he always took the basic simple story that was told to you by ABC or CBS or NBC. That's all there was in that day. And he would bring to you the rest of the story. And so I want to close by giving you the rest of the story. What does all of this mean to you and I? Because remember, the Bible's not just a book about the past. It's a book about the present. It's not just about what happened to Peter's mother-in-law that day, hundreds, thousands of years ago, but what's going on in our day and time right now, in our lives. It's not just about the past. It's about the present. So what are some takeaways you and I can leave with from what we just read and we just talked a little bit about? Observation number one that you can take with you. And by the way, there's no extra charge for these. We've already taken the offering. We're not passing it back again. Family is important. Do you see that in there? Peter was a family man. He had his brother with him. He had his wife who lived in his house with him. He had his mother-in-law who lived in the house with them. There were probably others that lived in that house. Family is important, ladies and gentlemen. Do you understand that? And the older you get, the more I hope you'll understand how much family is important. How much loving one another matters. How being unified in harmony matters. Family is important. Even mother-in-law is important. Do you know there's 43,000 mother-in-law jokes out there? And I know all of you know a few of them. But I'm not going to ask you to stand to tell them because you get in trouble. Peter loved his wife. He loved his wife's family. He loved his brother. 
the parents were still alive, I'm sure he loved his parents. Family was important, and it should be important to us. And I hope you'll understand that before you stand at the grave of one of your family. Because it's too late then to tell them you love them. And you cared about them and you were sorry for the things that you said or did or why you didn't have the kind of relationship that you wanted to have. Dead ears hear no words of sorrow. Dead ears hear no I love you's. Dead skin feels no touch of I care. Dead eyes do not see a smile on your face. Family is important. And some of you here today looking at me, you need to embrace your family a little bit better than you do. Because one day you're going to be sorry if you don't. Another takeaway. Our world is a world of crisis. We know that right now more than at any time perhaps in our lifetime. And whenever we've got a crisis, ladies and gentlemen, we need to invite the Jesus Christ of crisis into it. We don't need to spend our time informing him of what's going on. We need to spend our time inviting him into it. And that's what Sunday night and Wednesday night is going to be for this church. Inviting the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords into this nation. Into the state of South Carolina. Into the tri-county community. Into this church. Into our homes. Into our lives. Inviting Him. Thirdly. I take away from this there's healing in the name of Jesus. Why do we not see what took place outside Peter's home that day? Why don't we see that? Why don't we see the sick healed, the diseased healed, the possessed delivered? Why don't we ever see that anymore? May I suggest to you because we really don't believe he can do it anymore. We have not because we ask not. We have not because we believe not. It's amazing how we can pray for somebody who's sick and when they get healed, we're, we act like it's a shock. You mean sister so-and-so had cancer, got healed? Yeah. Really? You, you're just kidding me. No, no, she did get healed. I don't believe it. I think the doctors made a mistake. I didn't see any of that in the story we just read, did you? Jesus has the power to heal. We just don't believe he has the power to heal. Fourthly, we need to say thank you when he does something for us. I've already made mention of that, I won't stay long on it. I want you right now to think about something that the Lord did for you. Can you think of something right now that he did specifically in response to what you asked him to do? Or what you needed him to do? Now having thought about what that is, let me ask you another question. 
How many of you have said thank you to him for doing it? Actually said, Lord, thank you for listening to my prayer and answering it. Thank you, Lord. And not only said thank you, Lord, with your lips, but you said thank you, Lord, with your witness or your worship or your obedience or your financial gifts or, or an act of service towards somebody else. The Bible says he inhabits the praise of his people, but his people never praise him. We sit on our hands and close our mouths when we should have our hands up and open in our mouths and saying thank you. When's the last time that our homes became a headquarters for ministry to those around us? If we are called to be like Jesus, and Jesus is the light of the world, we're to be the light of the world. Should not our home be the light of the world? When people heard what was going on in Peter's house, they came by the droves. They wanted to see with their own eyes and experience it with their own person. Ladies and gentlemen, what a wonderful day it would be in our community when ministry was coming out of Jim Palmer's home enough to shake the community. Ministry was coming out of your home enough to shake the community. You know, the early church turned the world upside down for Jesus. Can, can our, not our home turn our neighborhood upside down for Jesus? Maybe By the fact that something's going on in our home that nobody knows how to explain, but they can't deny. And then lastly, and I'm through, I want you to think about Four G words. It says in verse 29 that Jesus, along with Peter and Andrew and James and John, were all where? Where were they at in the beginning of verse 29? They were coming out of what? They were coming out of church. In other words, now pay attention. The first G word is gather. They had all gathered together. In church to worship God. Okay. We've all gathered here this morning. To worship God. Okay. When they left church. The gathering of worship. Corporately. They all left church. Having grown. Individually. We come together, we gather together for corporate worship. To, to see things, to hear things, to experience things of God. When we leave here, we should leave here having grown in our faith. Everybody should have grown somewhere in some way. We're not all the same. What Pastor Don gets out of this service might be different than what Scott gets out of this service. 
What Scott gets out of it may be different than what Roger. What Roger gets out of it, Dave. All of us are going to walk away having had a different experience of worship. And we'll all grow in a different way when we leave this experience of worship. But we gather together corporately to leave here to have grown in faith individually. If you come here this morning and leave the same person who come in, I have failed, Keith has failed. No, maybe you have failed. So they gathered and worshipped together. Then they left having grown individually differently by what they had seen and heard in that day. And then they went back and they gave what they grew in from the gathering of public worship, they gave to serve others. They gave back to Peter's mother-in-law and healed her. They gave back to the community that was around them by bringing healing and help to all of those hundreds of people that came outside looking for it. Are you listening to me, church? Why do we gather here together this morning? So we can grow individually. Why do we want to grow individually? So we can give back to our community. So we can make our lives and our homes a headquarters for ministry to make a difference in somebody else's life. And when we do that, gather, grow, and give, glory takes place. God receives the glory. So if you thought you just come here to look at me, you're wrong. You came here to worship and to grow and to go out there and give and then to come back here and gather again and grow again and give again. And in doing so, each and every day of our lives, we bring glory to him. Simple story, the rest of the story. Now it's our story. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.